warmest ever. Forecasters have never seen before. A once in every 500 year event. The city of Venice has suffered the worst flooding in 55 years. The single New York City would be underwater for climate change. Hold on, you better scotch guard the counters. This ticker podcast is coming to you from the Citadel Securities Trading Post on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. Hi, everyone. There has been a definite shift in the weather. Can you feel it? Investors can. More and more are blending ESG and SRI concepts into their investment models. And in the specific area of climate-related issues, a blue-ribbon group called the Task Force on Climate-Related Disclosures, the TFCD, has made it a lot easier for them to do that. Almost three years ago, the TFCD laid out a detailed set of recommendations on how businesses can identify and report on their climate-related risks and opportunities. But, even as climate disclosure standards are evolving, a new survey reveals American companies are not. The report shows many U.S. firms haven't even begun the TFCD risk assessment process. Indeed, a quarter of respondents said their companies don't plan to do anything about climate risk disclosure. You know, progress has been slow. It's been steady, but it's been slow. Strategic communications specialist Richard Mahoney is the report's principal author. He says the survey findings underscore the complexity of the task. But he's certain that TFCD-based reporting is on the verge of rampant adoption. Richard dropped by the Post to talk about the forces driving companies towards more disclosure and the fate of those that lag behind. We begin on the subject of investor appetite for data on the effects of global warming and what makes the TFCD different from other guidance initiatives. You really can look at the last two years since the launch of the TCFD report in 2017. I think that really was a turning point. Um, Because up until then, I think there was recognition of the growing importance of of climate risk, but no one had really focused on that topic until the TCFD came along. And that group, as you may know, uh, was headed by Michael Bloomberg. It was appointed by uh, G20 finance ministers, and it was comprised of practitioners uh, from from industry, folks who were responsible for preparing disclosure, and it was very broad-based, U.S. and and international. And they came up with a set of recommendations designed to help companies produce consistent, reliable, clear, and importantly, decision-useful information about their climate risks. And I can remember uh, looking at that report when it came out in July of 2017. I read it over the the 4th of July holiday weekend. And frankly, my first inkling was that, you know, yes, another all-star panel whose recommendations will be put on the shelf and quickly forgotten, as so often happens with these things. But this was an entirely different kind of report because it was very detailed and it offered not just a, a report, but a very thick technical appendix that gave specific guidance to companies about how they should begin to think about measuring and disclosing their climate risk. So it was really a manual, a real handbook. And so from that point, there's really been a shift in momentum, I think. Uh, how, how is this different than 
than CDP or any, any of the other things that companies have been using? That's a very good question. What, what's different here is I think when you say the term climate risk, people immediately think of the things that companies do that contribute to climate change. So they focus on carbon emissions and you know, the drive to electrify vehicle fleets. But actually, climate risk in this context is asking a different question. It's asking, how is a changing climate going to affect your business? And I think one of the, the misconceptions about this is that somehow the TCFD or climate risk only applies to financial institutions. And certainly, it does apply to financial institutions, but it applies to all companies across the board, And which makes sense when you think about it. It's hard to imagine a company operating today that doesn't bump into climate risk in some ways. Uh, companies are hearing from investors on climate risk issues. And that's generally been known, but it's the type of investor that the survey found, was, which in my mind was quite interesting. I think people expect that a specialized ESG fund, for example, would put a questionnaire out or engage with a management about climate risk. But what we're finding is that there are, companies are also getting questions from mainstream investors. And that's a big change. Uh, and again, it's a recognition that no matter what uh, you're focusing on uh, as, a, as an investment manager, climate is part of the risk assessment that you're having to do just through your day-to-day -day portfolio decisions. Um, so it's, it's, a very, it's a very interesting time. And what the, the TCFD is really forcing, I think, um, is to get much, for, for companies to get much more specific about these risks, you know, in terms of understanding what's material, what's going to be useful to our investors to disclose. Um, and that's, again, a big, a big change. And it's, it's driven, as I was saying earlier, by this perfect storm, you know, um, because investors, investors want that information. They don't simply want to know that you're, you know, trying to reduce your greenhouse gases in your, in your factories. That's a different question. What they're trying to understand is, you know, what does an increase in severe storms mean, mean for your business? How might it affect your market, your supply chain? Yeah, seems pretty logical. Why wouldn't investors want this stuff? So what's holding things up on the corporate side? A TFCD update report points to tricky modeling challenges. Maloney's survey of Society for Corporate Governance members suggests board indifference may also play a role. Board-level dialogue is becoming more commonplace, but most boards still review climate risk on an as-needed basis. A fifth of respondents said their board never discusses climate issues. Whatever the reasons for the until-now dearth of U.S. board engagement, Maloney says that's all about to change. There, you know, I describe this as, as the iceberg. You know, if you look at the surface, there are only a, a handful of, of companies, certainly uh, compared to uh, the rest of the world, few U.S. companies doing climate disclosure today. But as our survey found, many are making preparations to disclose more about their climate risks. They're beginning to do the, the analysis, they're getting themselves organized, and the survey found that within a couple of years they expect to be making disclosures. And so that's the part that's beneath the waterline that you don't see yet okay. in, in actual disclosures, but gives us reason to think that there's going to be more disclosure in the future. Um, 
and I, I think that there are some interesting things that will continue to drive uh, companies toward that. One, is, as we've been saying, is um, simply the demand from investors. Um, and again, whether that takes the form of active engagement, calls on a, on a quarterly earnings announcement, or whether it's you know, through the, the direct contact that investors have, or if it's through third parties. I think there'll continue to be demand for that, and that, that will come from investors. I also think that there's going to be a little bit of pressure, uh, depending on the electoral outcome in 2020, on uh, climate risk and whether disclosure could be a requirement rather than a voluntary step, as it is today. Uh, there's some uh, candidates who have already said that they'd support a mandatory climate disclosure. So I think that... What's your view on that? that? May... Is there a market response? or? Well, it, you know, I think it's I think it's always better if the market <clears throat> can do it voluntarily because it'll always find a better solution rather than taking something that's imposed. But if they don't move quickly enough, it's certainly a risk. Uh, and you're beginning to see some of that even in uh, the UK, for example, uh, where there are proposals to require climate disclosure. Um, uh, they're still studying the matter. Um, certainly the Bank of England has been through Mark Carney, uh, speaking very, very strongly about the need for companies to do this voluntarily and to do it quickly over the next two years. So uh, that, that kind of that kind of pressure, I think, is, is helpful. I think he was really he was the kind of the, the fulcrum around all of this. Right? He really the has. Central he's, bankers get together. Yes. It's like, okay. He's really played uh, a leading role globally as, as the central banker who has really been out in front on this, and he's convened a, a group of other central banks that is continuing to look at this. The U.S. Fed is not a member of that today. Uh, and the SEC, for its part, has not said much about this either. Um, I think it's telling. The, the one time that, that uh, an SEC official did speak about this, they had to do so from outside the United States. So <laughs> apparently from a safe distance, uh, William Hinman uh, spoke at a conference in London back in March. And, you know, what the SEC has said is that Disclosure of, of material risk has always been a responsibility of companies, and climate risk should be considered no different from any other risk that a company would face and, and would need to make a decision about whether and how to disclose. And that's certainly been their, their position. Uh, yeah, the question is whether uh, more ought to be done in terms of you know, gently nudging certain issuers to perhaps be a little more clear in some of their financial filings about their climate risk when it appears that they're not doing so. Earlier you mentioned that America's, um, American companies are a little bit behind the rest of the world. Is this, you know, is it going to get to the point where it really threatens investment from, from, from outside the U.S.? Uh, our investors going to say, this is, we don't even get these people, you know, they're talking a different language than us. We're you know, that's a good question. And that's, that's really something to watch. If it does get to a point where uh, investors don't feel that they can properly assess or understand the entirety of a company's risk yeah. position Especially because they failed to declare high-profile catastrophes. Right. That no, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And you know, you might see it. Who knows? You might see it here on the trading floor in the context of an IPO that doesn't, you know, get the kind of demand from uh, international investors because they've not disclosed adequately around climate. We'll have to see. I think that really bears bears watching. The other trends I think that uh, will continue to, to bear watching, I mentioned the, uh, 
the kind of regulatory and political risk. But I think the other risk is litigation. You know, you, you've seen, um, you know, this, this past year, the uh, suit by New York against ExxonMobil. That's, uh, I think, focusing people's attention on, on the risks here. You know, whether or not that case, how, however that case is ultimately... Decided. Well, the allegation is that that uh, New York is is saying that uh, Exxon uh, failed to uh, fully inform its investors about its views on climate risk. That there there were um, uh, very clear views in, inside the company about the risks that a changing climate presented to its its business, and that it, it failed to disclose them. Again, ultimately, how that case comes out, very hard to say. But there's no question that. Simply by getting as far as it has today, uh, it it is focusing the attention of boards and management uh, at, at all levels, and so I think that you know that that kind of legal risk will also be uh, part of the part of the background, but but very much something that will also drive companies toward toward disclosure. And you'll also have, I think, the other thing that will will contribute to more disclosure over time, as you're seeing. You know, the rating agencies, uh, they're becoming uh, increasingly vocal about uh, the risk of, of uh, a changing climate to the securities that they're asked to rate. Uh, there was a report just a few weeks ago about municipal securities and the major rating agencies um, being very clear about the need for those issuers to speak about what they're doing to prepare their infrastructure wow. um, to deal with climate events. Uh, and that's something that that clearly is going to affect their ability to access the markets, to raise capital, affect the price of their existing securities, and of course, every investor who holds them in their portfolio. So, anything else that struck you about your survey that surprised you, other than and then just kind of the yeah, you know, in, in right. terms of the results. Right. Yep. And the other thing that's interesting uh, that we saw in the survey is that most people still regard climate risk as a legal and regulatory risk. That's that's the kind of risk that they first associate with this, you know, will there be some kind of a carbon tax, for example, or will there be emissions limits or uh, clean air standards on automobiles? Um, but we're seeing uh, an increasing number of, of uh, respondents recognize that climate risk has a physical dimension, that it is a physical risk to their operations, that it has a reputational component uh, as well, if they don't get this right. So I think there's a uh, a maturation among the respondents in terms of their thinking about about climate uh, and the risks that it presents. But if, in fact, extreme weather events are becoming more frequent, um, and that is likely to persist, and companies aren't thinking systematically about what that means for their risk position, for their operations. Then, then they're going to have a disconnect with investors because investors will, will want to hear how companies are responding to that new set of circumstances. And they won't want to hear and greenwashing. They, and if they can't, that's right. If they can't, it's going to be a problem. And greenwashing, right. I think there's a, a low tolerance for that, um, uh, as it should as it should be. Um, you know, there's a, there's a large bank, which I won't mention, uh, that published their annual report this spring and had a lovely, glossy, full-color section on its community activities and its CSR initiatives and um, all of the, the good things that it was doing yeah. from a citizenship standpoint. And we should encourage that, no question about it. 
But it didn't really say anything at all about the risks in its mortgage portfolio uh, arising from mortgages that they may have written in parts of the country that are facing wildfire risk, for example, in California. And that's the kind of information that, that an investor really wants. And yes, by all means, continue to support good causes and, and to be a good, a good citizen uh, on, on all those issues. But tell us what your risks are. And that's your Ticker Podcast. My thanks to Richard Mahoney for stopping by the post. His report is called The State of Climate Risk Disclosure, and you can find it on the interwebs. Besides survey insights, it's got practical steps for companies to take as they measure and integrate climate risks into their financial reports. And it's also got lessons from early adopters. Okay, Director. I'm Jeff Cassette. Thanks for listening. Citadel Securities is a member of FINRA and SIPC. The content of this podcast does not necessarily reflect the views of Citadel Securities.